who are second grade and younger to head down to Children's Church right now. Second grade and younger can head down to Children's Church. And then if you're third to seventh grade, feel free to head back and grab a treasure seeker binder in the back there. Third to seventh grade should be a binder for you. Let's ask for God's help. Father in heaven, we certainly stand in need of your help. Every time we open the Bible, I pray, especially this time, it feels like we doubly need help because of the topic, Lord. We are a fearful people. Worry and anxiety especially with reference to sharing our faith, is the common experience of every single one of us in this room that names the name of Jesus. So I pray that you would come and do remarkable things by the power and presence of your Holy Spirit as your word is opened and heralded, that you would bring with power the truth that's proclaimed. I pray that the net effect of this week and and Next week, Lord, is that we would walk away uh, deeply stirred, filled with courage, with boldness and openness and freedom to speak the good news of Jesus Christ, especially to those who are on the outside of the kingdom. So would you come and do the work that we cannot do now, and we will seek to be faithful to cooperate. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm not sure that this morning's topic needs much by way of introduction. Um, Introductions in the world of preaching often serve to kind of set us at ease with our subject matter because perhaps the topic doesn't feel immediately relevant to our lives, or maybe uh, the topic is a touchy one and people are unnerved by the prospect of even coming near it, and so an introduction to kind of ease our way in. Well, every now and then we hit an issue or a theme as a church that is quite simply right on the surface of all of our lives. Every once in a while we hit a topic where it is the common experience of every last one of us. I have no doubt in my mind that the topic of courage in evangelism is an immediate felt need of every Christ follower in this room. I know it. So what I'd like to begin to do is simply state my aim as clear as I possibly can. My aim, by God's grace, this morning is to begin to pulverize the fear of man in your heart with reference to evangelism. That's the aim. The greatly desired effect of this sermon is to neutralize the threat that fear poses for the advance of the gospel through this church. I want to see the Holy Spirit just crush the fear of man in our congregation. So to that end, we have seven reasons to be fearless in sharing your faith in Christ. Seven reasons. 
Before we get started, two brief footnotes. Uh, The first is this, that you'll notice in the place on your outline where you usually see a single sermon text, you see that phrase, various texts. And that means that we're not going to spend our time in a single passage of Scripture, but actually many passages of Scripture this morning. We are going to be all over the Bible, and I don't expect you to turn to all of these texts. You are certainly welcome to try. Um, But you have my permission to simply listen and take notes that would be of help to you filling in the blanks as they come. Ponder these and maybe look up the texts later. So feel free on that score. Uh, Second thing I want to say is that as I was preparing the sermon, I I quickly found that it was one of these Sundays. Uh, This is going to take two sermons to get through all seven points. So we're going to take the first three of these and leave the last four for next Sunday, which means they're going to adjust the sermon calendar yet again. Um, We will start the Gospel of John on kickoff Sunday. You have my word on that three weeks from today. But that means we have just a couple of weeks after this one to land the plane with regard to evangelism. So uh, this week and next week, the issue of courage in evangelism. Okay, those things being said, let's get started. Seven reasons to be fearless in sharing your faith in Christ. First reason, fear not is the most frequent command in the Bible. Fear not is the most frequent command in the Bible. More often than the command to be holy, for he is holy, more often even than the command to love God and to love other people, more recurrent than any other single command in the entire Old and New Testament is the summons that God has on the life of his people not to be afraid. There are at least 365 individual commands from God along these lines to us. Just knowing that number tells you a lot about the character of God and about our great need as his people. 365 times. We've said it before. That is one do not fear for every day of the year. And you know why God set it up this way? Because we need to hear it every day of the year. If you have a a pattern of reading through the Bible, uh, it'd be in a year's time. That's just three to four chapters a day. It's if you read at a medium pace, it's twelve to fifteen minutes a day. You would run through the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation, and you'd hit all of these commands not to be afraid. You would be encouraged literally on a daily basis not to be anxious particularly with regard to our mission to be and make disciples. From the covenant with Abraham in Genesis 15.1 to the letter from Jesus to the church in Sardis in Revelation 2.10, this theme is absolutely overwhelming in the Bible. The call from God to us to abandon fear and worry and anxiety as we follow Jesus is absolutely overwhelming. So why does God say it to us so often? Because he knows it's our major malfunction. It's what sinners do. We're afraid. And sin creates that condition. 
You remember just after Adam and Eve ate of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? And the Bible says in Genesis 3, verses 9 and 10, the Lord called to the man and said to him, where are you? And Adam said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid, was afraid. Now there is a fear that we are to cultivate as God's people, a holy one. It's the fear of the Lord. And while Adam is afraid in Genesis 3.10, it's not the fear of the Lord in its purest form. The fact that Adam ate the fruit in the first place shows us without question that he didn't fear the Lord the way that he ought to. We'll see particularly next week that the fear of the Lord is of incredible importance for us as we seek to put to death the fear of man. The, the idea of the fear of the Lord is going to emerge several times in next week's study. But we need to start with a general statement just about the rate of recurrence of this command in the Bible. God is preoccupied with this directive for us. He is engrossed in this instruction. There is no more common mandate that God gives to us than this one. Fear not is the single most frequent command in the Bible. Second reason to be fearless in sharing your faith with unbelievers is this. If you are in Christ, God is with you and he is for you. If you are in Christ, God is with you and he's for you. Now, in our family, we love to sing fighter verses, scripture memory verses together. And we have lots of favorites. I'm sure you do too if you've listened to the songs over the years that we've used them as a church. But it's probably safe to say that Isaiah 41.10 is our go-to fighter verse. Isaiah 41.10, fear not, for I am with you. I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. I even did it wrong because without the music, I forget it. Fear not. Why not? For I am your God. Hmm. If you've never memorized a single Bible verse in your life, I would suggest this one. In fact, if you know it, sing it with me. Isaiah 41.10. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed. For I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And what's our reference? Isaiah 41.10. So you can memorize that. You can store it up. It works better to music, for me anyway. Treasure it. Seek it. Tuck away a promise like that in your heart so that you have it when you're afraid. Namely, every day. One of my favorite authors on the planet once wrote, When the motor of my mind is in neutral, the hum of the gears is the sound of Isaiah 41.10. Isn't that good? Now granted, Isaiah 41.10 is a promise given uh, to Old Testament Israel. But since all of God's promises are yes in Jesus, then this one is ours too. 
by virtue of God's grace to us through our faith in Christ. We who know and worship Jesus are in on this one. And Jesus picks this one up even in the Great Commission. Sometimes we forget this. This is part of the Great Commission. In Matthew 28, 20, as he's giving the disciple-making mandate, he says, And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus evidently believed that his knowledge, the knowledge of his presence with believers would serve to sever the root of fear in their lives as it relates to evangelism. One place we see it is in Acts 18, verses 9 and 10, where he comes to Paul in a vision at night. And he says to him, do not be afraid, but go on speaking. Don't be silent. And why? For I am with you. No one will attack you to harm you. I have many in this city who are my people. Those two verses have more evangelistic encouragement packed into them than we have time to unpack this morning. But suffice it to say that what Jesus anticipated that Paul needed in that moment in the city of Corinth was the stone-cold, rock-solid truth that he was present with him. Christ was with him. God was with him. And God is with us too. He's with you too if you are in Christ. If you're in Christ, it's true that not only God is with you, it's also true that he's for you. This is the second reality, that God is for us in Christ. And it is entirely possible that the second half of this promise is even more valuable to you than the first when it comes to sharing your faith with those who don't know Jesus. After unfolding the good news of Jesus Christ to the church in Rome, Paul writes in Romans 8:31, as we heard this morning, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And then he goes on to say why he's not against us in verse 32. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So Romans 8.31 says, if you are in Christ, God is for you. He's for you. And Romans 8.32 explains how he came to be for you. Because God visited his own son on the cross with the punishment that your sins deserve, my sins deserve, God's wrath is removed from over our heads. So if you're in Christ, God isn't just with you. It wouldn't be good news if God was with us and hostile toward us. Amen? He's with us, and because of the cross, he is for us. It makes a difference in your evangelism. It really does. The ice of the fear of man tends to melt quickest at the foot of the cross. Every morning, survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died. And move out into your day and tell people what you saw that morning in Scripture as you meet with him day after day. The author of Hebrews talks about how this is brought to bear, this issue of the fear of Man, Hebrews 13, 5 and 6, God has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? 
Now that last little piece, what can man do to me, we'll take up next week. But this creates confidence. This creates boldness and openness as we share our faith. When we know who's on our team. Years ago, uh, during his rookie season as a forward for the Chicago Bulls, Stacy King had the privilege to play alongside the greatest, Michael Jordan, in the 1990s. One particular evening of his rookie year, Stacy King sank one free throw. Jordan had a particularly good evening, even for him. He scored 69 points. And after the game, King, the young guy on the court, was interviewed by a news reporter to get his sense of how the game went. And King said he was thrilled. And here's the money quote I read in the Chicago Tribune. My dad read it to me years ago. King said, I'll always remember this as the night that Michael Jordan and I combined for 70 points. (laughs) I don't know about you, but that or something very close to that is how I feel when I'm sharing the good news with someone, when I'm thinking rightly about God's presence with me and his power in evangelism. When you're with a lost person, and you open your mouth to say a good word for Jesus, God is with you. He's with you. And he's not just with you, he's for you. And he can do something about that open door that we talked about last week, the one that is shut and locked. So don't be afraid to share your faith. You're not alone. You're never alone. If you are in Christ, God is with you and is for you. Third reason this morning. Be fearless in sharing your faith with unbelievers because God gave you a spirit not of fear. God gave you a spirit not of fear. If you were to turn to only one of these texts this morning, this is the one that I would want you to turn to if you have a Bible nearby. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7. 2 Timothy 1.7. This is where we're going to anchor in for the, the rest of the morning, the exception of a couple texts that will tie to it. But this one's key. 2 Timothy 1.7. Paul says to Timothy, For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. This is true of you if you're a Christian. God gave you a spirit not of fear, but of power and of love and self-control. This verse is colossal, maybe not in size, but in message. First thing you'll want to note in verse 7 here in 2 Timothy 1 is that Paul says, God gave us a spirit. And the astute Bible interpreter would begin to wonder, gears are grinding up here, you're wondering, which spirit? Is this, is this my spirit, lowercase s? Could this be the Holy Spirit, uppercase s? And that's a really good question. And for what it's worth, uh, it doesn't answer things just to look into the Greek and find out what that says. Um, the reason for that is that unlike English, the Greek language is, is rarely case sensitive like ours 
Capitals and lowercases don't mean a lot in the Greek of Paul's day. The word for spirit here is not capitalized at the beginning in the Greek, but neither is Paul's explicit reference to the Holy Spirit down in verse 14. That's lowercase two. So the point is that we have to make a decision. You have to make a decision about the spirit that Paul is referring to here. You can see the decision of the translators of the ESV if you have that in front of you. It's a lowercase s. But for comparison, you with the NIV on your laps would see an uppercase s. Translators are divided here. So which is it? I'm not sure actually that a whole lot is on the line either way. But based on the clear reference to the Holy Spirit, just seven verses later in verse 14, and because of the explicit evidences of the Spirit that are unfolded in verse 7 as Paul continues to to write, I think we have every warrant to believe that Paul could be talking about the Holy Spirit. And even if he's not explicitly talking about the Holy Spirit, it's at least true that all three marks that he mentions in verse 7 are explicitly the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. They have their origin with him, and they are gifts to us. Now, either way, all of this matters for evangelism, all of it. Listen to what he's saying. 2 Timothy 1.7, God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. The spirit that God gave us is a spirit whose native language is not one of worry or concern or anxiety or panic or dread or fear of any kind. God did not give us a spirit of fear. Add to that what Jesus said to Paul in Acts 18.10. That which was periodically true for Paul is categorically true for us. Jesus said to Paul in Acts 18.10, no one will attack you to harm you. No one will attack you to harm you. Now, that is not a promise that Jesus could give to Paul in every single city. It was true in Corinth. It was not true in Jerusalem, and it was not true in Rome, where his head came off of his body under the persecution of Nero in AD 62. But it is true for us in this nation. No one will attack you to harm you. Not today. Not now. As Max Stiles once said, here in America, we don't face the raised fist or the raised spear. We face the raised eyebrow. And not even both of them. Just one of these little hairy suckers goes up. And I'm done in evangelism, right? Fear just overtakes. Why? It's very strange. You know what that is? That's cowardice. It's cowardice. If you and I will not open our mouths to speak the good news of Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, reigning, and soon to return, we are cowards. That is the word that Paul uses in 2 Timothy 1.7. Some English translations render it that way. For God did not give us a spirit of cowardice, is the new revised standard version. We're going to learn next week that that first issue of cowardice is first on the list of those who will populate the lake of fire in Revelation 21.8. First on the list are the cowardly. 
So don't be ashamed of the gospel. God gave you not a spirit of fear. So now let's let's close with some encouragement. God didn't give us a spirit of fear, but what sort of spirit did he give us? Why is this good news when we seek to share our faith? The answer is in verse 7. He gave us a spirit of power and love and self-control. Here's why I think we're perfectly justified to think this is the person of the Spirit in verse 7. The reason why I think so is because the work of the Spirit is manifested here in verse 7. Three clear references to the work of the Spirit. Power, love, self-control. And what's so helpful here is just to follow the flow of biblical thought. It's one thing for God to tell us not to be afraid. He does that time and again in Scripture. It's another reason for him to be so gracious as to show us why not. Why not? This is news you can use. God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and of love and self-control. Let's take each in turn. God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power. Not fear, power. The words of the resurrected Christ to his disciples in Luke 24 are of shattering importance here for us. Uh, Luke 24, 48 and 49, Jesus says to them, you are witnesses of these things, namely all that I've done. You are witnesses of these things, my life, my cross, my death, my burial, my resurrection. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. The Holy Spirit accompanies our proclamation of the gospel with power. And not only does that power have the power to save those who believe the message, it's the kind of power that can also put fear to flight in the lives of those who carry the message. Why does power short-circuit fear in evangelism? Well, it, it does. The fact that it does is plain. Romans 1.16, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. And you don't even have to go to another book of Scripture to get that logic. Just one verse later, 2 Timothy 1.8, Paul's thinking the same way. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel. How? By the power of God. See, weakness breeds fear. Frailty gives rise to worry and anxiety, but power produces courage, freedom, candor, openness. What about love? What does love have to do with fear? Paul says, God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of love. You know the answer here. And if you didn't know the chapter and verse, undoubtedly you know the experience in your lives. 1 John 4.18 says, perfect love casts out fear. Do you fear anyone who's on your list of five? that you pray for? I think it's possible that you do. But that's not the final question. 
The final question is, do I love them more than I fear them? That's the question. And love casts out fear. Love will draw you into unexpected places and grant you unexpected courage. Why? Because love and fear cannot coexist side by side. One will overtake the other. They're not meant to live peaceably alongside each other. You may fear the prospect of sharing the gospel with certain lost people in your life. That's not the issue. The issue is, will you love them more than you fear them? God gave you a spirit not of fear, but of love. Perfect love casts out fear. The last one is self-control. God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of self-control. Now, I'm, I'm still brewing on this one. I'm, I'm not 100% sure I know exactly why God contrasts fear and self-control. Maybe you've been thinking about this and living this longer than I have, and you could help me. But I've thought through it a little bit, and here's what I would conclude. Uh, that we need to remember that fear, or rather that self-control is not just a fruit of the Spirit. It, it's a root of courage in evangelism. Uh, the word for self-control that Paul uses here is a frequent one in his vocabulary. You see it a lot, especially in, in the pastoral epistles, First and Second Timothy and, and Titus. The idea of self-control, it wasn't just a common character trait in Paul's vocabulary. This was common in the Stoic philosophers of the first century of Paul's day. Uh, the idea of self-control, self-mastery, self-possession. Someone not subject to physical or emotional flights of fancy. The Stoics loved this, but in contrast to the Stoics who did self-control by keeping a stiff upper lip, Paul taught that the real thing, real self-control, real sound mind, real possession of self could only be known and experienced as the fruit of the Holy Spirit through faith in Jesus. So it is an encouragement to evangelism. When I'm afraid, spirit-empowered self-control is necessary to take myself in hand, to get it together, and take a risk with a lost person that I am fearing. Power, love, self-control. One of those would do a number on fear. Two of them would dismantle your fear. Three of them should decimate your fear with regard to evangelism. God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Well, let's put a comma here in this little mini sermon series on fear. Seven reasons to be fearless in sharing your faith in Christ. We've heard three of them today. We'll get the next four next week. Fear not is the most frequent command in the Bible. There is nothing, evidently, that God is bending over backward more often to say to us than don't be afraid. If you're in Christ, God is with you and he is for you. Be Stacy King out there as you share your faith in Christ. And God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Have no fear of them. Let's pray.
Father in heaven, it is amazing, really, when we begin to survey the teaching of the Bible about anxiety and worry and fear. Lord, the evidence of our fear is how often we avoid people, how often we are ashamed, how often we bend the truth. Fear is a part of our lives. But you have not given us a spirit of fear. And I pray, Father, as a church, that we would be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, that we would be loaded with the love that comes through Christ to us through His Spirit, and that we would be men and women of self-control, that we would move ourselves out into opportunities to rub shoulders with lost people. Lord, would you open doors this week? I'm praying on behalf of all of us. Open doors in our lives with those on our list of five. Help us to walk steadily and purposefully toward outsiders. May we be clear in our witness. May we be salty and savory in our speech. Above all things, may we not be afraid. In Jesus' name, amen.